Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, now's the time to think differently about knowing where your employees stand. I'm quite frankly a little frustrated to continue seeing this reliance on, you know, a traditional survey mechanism that's been around 20 years now. Same core set of questions, same annual administration. And more tools in your toolbox to keep the talent you want. There's a lot of ways to look at retaining and attracting new talent, but I think you gotta have the training there as well for your, your internal staff and so that they can keep up. It's Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Technologies, the Defense Innovation Unit prototype, will transition to schedules contracts under a new memorandum of understanding with the General Services Administration. GSA will use its Fastlane program to onboard companies DIUs worked with. GSA says it'll put those companies and their offerings on its multiple awards schedule. A contract at the Patent and Trademark Office worth up to $2 billion is back on after a federal judge dismissed a protest against it. Stratera Fulcrum Technologies filed the suit after PTO awarded the contract to SAIC, Booz Allen Hamilton, Halvik, Steampunk, and Riva. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Friday's the deadline for getting votes in for the best bosses in federal IT. You can find a link to see the nominees and vote in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The new Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey numbers show some cracks in the foundation of the federal workforce. Human capital experts in government are trying to figure out if the challenges are because of the pandemic, more institutional problems, or some of both. Sydney Heimbrock is Chief Industry Advisor for Government at Qualtrics. She's former Executive Director of the Innovation Lab at the Office of Personnel Management. Sydney, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program today. What do you see when you look at the new FEVs numbers? What are the indicators that you went to first to see how things stand? Welcome. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. And, um, you know, I, I think it's sort of a combination of everything coming together I hate to use the expression perfect storm because it feels like in a storm you're not really in control. I think we really are in control. And what I looked for are indicators that um, employees still have confidence that an instrument like the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey even means anything to them. So I noticed, for example, that the response rate really plummeted this year. Um, I think it's 34%, which is really low. I think that's a historic low. Um, And then, of course, um, overall job satisfaction went down significantly. So uh, those are the big trends that you want to take a look at. And when you see a year-over-year drop like that, that really should be sending off alarm bells. you know, I've been around the, the OPM strategic human capital world for a long time. Um, I was actually responsible for the president's management agenda, strategic human capital initiative for many years. And of course, that's all that all falls under the same part of Title V that the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey um, falls under. And so 
we've been saying these things for a long time, but I see a pretty significant shift that is not a good shift going on right now. I see the employee engagement declining. I see a 10 percentage point spike in attrition, retirements and other forms of attrition last year. I see only 40% of respondents saying that the results of this survey will be used to improve things for their experience. And I see our inability, continued inability to recruit new talent to build a, a solid succession pipeline between the people we know are going to be leaving. And what I see there is a sort of implosion of the federal workforce, which is mission critical. And I, I'm really pretty concerned. I'm way more concerned this year than I have been in the past. OPM cited some reasons when they released the numbers this year, Sydney, for why they look different. Due to the pandemic, This uh, their backgrounder says, survey administration 2021 differed from 2020 in, substantial, in some substantial ways. It references some private sector numbers that also indicated some deterioration in the way that private sector employees are engaged with their organizations and so on. How much of this do you think is a shift in the way that federal employees are thinking about working for the federal government? And how much of it do you think is a shift that maybe partly is pandemic based in the way that employees in general think about the way they think about their employers in general? Yeah, I mean, clearly, this is part of a global trend, right? And we're seeing that in all of our research. There's the great resignation. There is inflation, which is driving people to really be looking for opportunities to not so much increase their salary as just keep pace with their you know current uh, living costs. Um, and that's one of the problems of public service is that our pay system is so incredibly rigid that it's really difficult to flex to those kind of unforeseen shocks. But it's those moments when it's even more important to engage every single day with your people. And I'm quite frankly a little frustrated to continue seeing this reliance on, you know, a traditional survey mechanism that's been around 20 years now, same core set of questions, same annual administration, same six to nine month lag time between when people answer the survey and when the reports come out, let alone when they see action being taken. And that's the thing that I think we all need to really immediately pivot to. Employees expect to be heard And if they are not heard, they will vote with their feet. They will walk away. They will go and find a job where they are heard, where they do have more flexibilities. Um, The government-wide pulse gives me hope. That is also an OPM, OMB, and GSA initiative to be way more flexible in listening to what is going on with employees today, not last year, right? Not last fall but today, and to see that kind of leadership from the center of government demonstrating that we have questions for our people that matter to them, and more importantly, they matter to us. Uh, Those questions are changing, 
with each pulse, right? Some of them are longer term issues like diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's critical to track over time. But some of them are new every time they do the government-wide pulse. And that's a really important signal, recognizing that, hey, we are leaders of this, of you, our people. We see that the world changes every day, every month, every week, right? And we want to know how those changes are affecting you so that we can serve you better. And we're not going to continue relying on seeing you in the hallway and stopping you for, you know, a water cooler chat. We know that we have an extremely distributed workforce and we need to be able to listen to you all the time, no matter where you are, right? If you're teleworking that day and something happens, I need to be able to check in with you through this digital ecosystem that we work in. And that's exactly why these kinds of pulse survey approaches are so critical because they empower that agility um, that leaders need to to lead effectively. Yeah, the Pulse Survey, if I recall correctly, they're doing those quarterly now, I think. And the risk, I wonder, because uh, Chief Human Capital Officer told me recently, well, I do them inside my organization too. And I wonder if there is a risk of the federal employee becoming over-surveyed. What's the right balance to get the information that you want to be able to have access to it in the timely manner that you describe and and yet still continue to get a decent response rate so that you know that the data that you collect is accurate and is something on which you should make decisions? Yeah. So I'm going to say something that might sound controversial, I believe there is no such thing as over-surveying. Think about every day how we talk to our manager, our colleagues, right? We pick up the phone, we text, we Slack, we email. Those are engagement tools. So the, the, the difference is if I respond to a survey and I never hear anything and I never see anything change, I'm going to stop responding. But if I am pulsed on a weekly basis, and you know, I had a manager once who did that. She pulsed us every single week. It was a check-in pulse. How are you doing? What's top of mind for you? How can I help? That was the idea. And I saw her shift and pivot every week based on what she was hearing. And so I was all in to answer every week, right? Because I knew my voice mattered. And that is the difference. The government-wide pulse is actually on a, a bi-monthly schedule right now. And I think it's important for those employees who are not being pulsed. Um, I think it's equally important for OPM, OMB, and GSA to coordinate really closely with Chico agencies and other human capital leaders across government on those pulses um, because you know, employees need to understand, okay, this pulse is for White House leadership, essentially, whereas that pulse is for my own agency. And if there is evidence that answering the pulse makes a difference to their world, they will keep answering. That really becomes the bottom line then to providing the data that an organization needs to improve its internal customer experience is what VA calls it. Uh, other organizations are calling it employee experience and so on. That's really the, the bottom line data that an organization needs to, right, Sydney? Exactly. And, you know, we can think about our employees as our internal customers. 
I think there's some things about employees that are fundamentally different. Um, you know, they are not external customers that, um, that, that are perhaps a little more flexible in, in how they engage. Um, employees are, are really with us as people on a team. And I think we need to approach employee experience management as a critical foundational element of building and evolving a team. Um, we know our people go through different experiences in life. The customer experience executive order focus on critical life experiences. That same idea needs to be applied to our own people, right? A long time ago in the innovation lab at OPM, we actually mapped the kind of typical employee life cycle and identified those sort of punctuation points in life that change things for people, whether it's having a baby or getting sick or getting ready for retirement. And we recognized even back then that it was really critical to be able to keep your finger on the pulse of those critical life experiences and design for them so that you don't leave people trying to figure out your bureaucracy, your bureaucracy that you've designed for regulation, right? Give employees the kinds of seamless experiences, accessing support and benefits and services that we are giving our, our customers. Sydney, it's great insight. I appreciate the chance to have you on the program today. Thanks for joining me. Okay, thank you. You can read more about the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey results in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast. The lineup for the Government Innovation Strategy and Technology Conference is stacked. It's this Thursday at the International Spy Museum in downtown D.C. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. A multi-cloud environment is the vehicle of choice at the Office of the Inspector General at the Department of Health and Human Services. Gerald Karen is the Chief Information Officer at the Office of the IG at HHS. He tells my colleague Billy Mitchell why he calls his multi-cloud environment the ecosystem. We're taking advantage of some best-of-breed clouds and we're scoping those for the needs that we have um, in our modernization efforts. So our our ecosystem strategy is going to be how we broker the requirements and what clouds we use for that. Um, there is some duplicity, um, so to speak, in a couple of the clouds that we have, but that's great because then we don't get locked in. Uh, we can move seamlessly between clouds, and that's something that we want our ecosystem to do overall is have data interoperability. And I don't want my users to care about the platform or the that, that they're on. I want them to be able to do what they need to do. So we'll use the best cloud possible for that, but we hope that they have a seamless experience and not care that they're on this, that we're using this platform for that. Um, just want them to be able to get the data and the functionality that they need to make their job more efficient, which is a great thing about the cloud and the advantage that we're taking is how do you want to work? Not how do you work, but how do you want to work? Because I think historically, um, with some of the legacy solutions that we have, they've adopted them rather than the tools adopt their processes. Um, so we want them to work, the solutions to work for them, them not work for the solutions. 
What about security? How do you see public sector agencies taking more innovative approaches to cybersecurity and data protection in 2022? Well, there's this thing called zero trust, of course. We have the EO and we have um, OMB memo 22-09 talks about zero trust. Zero trust has a big focus on protecting data. So understanding your data, where's your data, who's accessing that data, who needs that data, is that data have integrity so people can rely on it, all those great things. Um, it's very important. I think the innovation comes in how you adopt some of the, your solutions that you may already have um, to include cloud um, capabilities to build into that zero trust architecture, as well as uh, partnering with the vendors and the rest of the um, community and the federal government on how to go about implementing zero trust. Let's talk about talent for, for a question. How do you see digital workforce enablement helping agencies improve how they attract and retain skilled employees? It's challenging. Uh, it's challenging. Definitely um, got to skill up on, on some of these new areas. Um, people that can stay up with the innovations because IT is constantly changing um, and the market gets saturated with solutions at times um, and, and trying to sift through all those. But as far as um, you know, the federal government sometimes, it's, it's difficult um, to compete with private sector cost-wise, things like that. So we're looking at things, you know, um, programs that we can introduce, you know, pay scales. Um, you know, um, some agencies have what they call a skills incentive program. You get additional pay for certifications and keeping up to date on things um, that apply to your job. So there's a lot of ways to look at retaining and attracting new talent but i think you got to have the training there as well for your your internal staff is and so that they can keep up i do a lot of things called um, innovation technology days where we look at new arts of the possible um, to bring in like a vendor and like what where's where's tech going what are the new concepts around that so really making sure that we're keeping our ears and eyes open and learning all the time because it's ever-changing and it's, it's difficult to keep up. But, um, but we're looking at a lot of ways, incentives to keep and um, bring new talent in when we have the availability to do so. So Jerry, as we close out, agencies had to move rapidly to acquire novel IT solutions during the pandemic. Uh, and how do you see those efforts impacting longer-term acquisition reforms? Yeah, I don't see us ever going back to the way things were before, you know, um, going into the everybody in the office 100% of the time with an anchor under their desk, which I call a desktop. Um, so definitely the way we work is changed. Um, I think we learned about what our new, real new risk tolerances were as a result of deploying new solutions, even for people that were administering um, the, the environment of which you were responsible with those privileged accesses. So definitely um, learning those new risk tolerances. Now we kind of know more of the art of the possible because we were doing things as like, we'll never do that mobile thing, we'll, um, or that's gonna take two to three years. Well, you know, we did it within the year. Or, or months in some cases, and now that became kind of, I hate the term, but they keep using it, but the new normal, um, because that's what everybody uses. So it's definitely something that now we know what the out of the possible is. You know, hey, this actually was not as risky as we initially thought, um, or we understand the risk now. Now, how can we further build off this? Um, and, and look at the next things, because now we know, all right, that art of the possible is possible. What's the next step in the art of the possible? So keep looking 
uh, forward and people are, as they get more comfortable uh, as they are, you know, they're gonna want new ways to do these things. So we're, we're trying to stay ahead of that and, and adopt our users as part of the team so we understand it. Like I, I think I said before, how do you want to work, not how do you work. Gerald Karen, the Chief Information Officer at the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Inspector General with my FedScoop colleague, Billy Mitchell. You can find a link to watch the whole conversation in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the program. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow afternoon. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.